This is Language Made Difficult, a discontinuous part of the Specgram podcast. Welcome to our Linguistics Roundtable Telesymposium. I'm Trey Jones, and joining me today, in order to facilitate maximum amusement, are the rest of the Ling nerds, Keith Slater. Great to facilitate with you. Sherry Wells Jensen. Hi there. And Bill Sproul. Hey. And also joining us on the program is Kian Kaufman. Welcome, Kian. Why, thank you. It's a pleasure to facilitate here. Thanks for visiting with us. So let's start off with some lies, damn lies, and linguistics. Our theme this time is lies, damn lies, and hemi-demi semi-truths. So I've got three language-related items, and no more than one of them is false. No more than one. No more than one. Like a hemi-one or a semi-one or... <laughs> I don't think any of them are half true. That might actually be... That could happen. Yes, they might be. It's happened before. Not that I forget this ever, but I think I need the rule of this game set to some kind of awesome five-part harmony with an organ thing. And I, I hereby volunteer to work on that because I think it would help. It would be a theme song for the game. <laughs> One oh. is true. No, wait a minute. Two are true. See? Yeah. <laughs> no more than one is false. <laughs> and you guys have to figure out which is which and what is what. And after you make your overly educated guesses, I will facilitate a bit of further discussion. <laughs> a hemi-demi-semi-quaver is half of a half of a half of an eighth note, which is a 64th note. And with that in mind, today's items are... Number one, English hemi, meaning half, comes from Latin hemi, meaning half, from Greek hemi, meaning half, from Proto-Indo-European semi, meaning half. Item number two, English demi, meaning half, comes from Old French demi, meaning half, from Gallo-Romance demi, meaning half, from Latin semi, meaning half, from Proto-Indo-European semi, meaning half. Item number three, English semi, meaning half, comes from Latin semi, meaning half, from Proto-Indo-European semi, meaning half. Or you could decide that all of those are true. And in fact, all three morphemes, meaning half and hemi, demi, semi, quaver, do in fact all come from the same root, Proto-Indo-European, semi. Who'd like to go first? I have a question. Yes. So it is possible that all four morphemes do come from the same root, Proto-Indo-European, semi, but that one or two or three is false anyway, mm. in that it's a faulty derivation, like there was no Greek stage or something like that. That's a question. That's a, not a question. It's an accusation. <laughs> <laughs> are you standing by <laughs> either one of them is false or none of them are? Is that what you mean? What you said, since you only get the one question for the whole team, <laughs> good job, is that you said all four, since there are only three, your statement is definitely not true. <laughs> Look, either one is false or none are. Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay. Oh, oh. Is that what he said the first time? Because I don't think so. That is. Semi. All right, Keith, you sound like you volunteered to go first. Well, I've been thinking about this because I think that large trucks ought to help us out here somehow. You know, they're semi, but they're not called demis or hemis. So that only gives me one true. I don't know. I think that I'm going to say, not that I can remember what any of these derivations were, but let's say that number one was wrong, and I don't know why. Maybe because we got hemi straight from Greek and not through Latin. Anyway, for whatever reason, I'm going to say one is wrong. <laughs> okay. Who'd like to go next? Bill, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. That fourth option you gave us, that thing about you can decide they're all from the same root, that one's true because I can decide that. <laughs> and you can't stop me. Um, and you know you can't do that, so I think I'm safe on that one. On those other ones, I would normally sort of listen to the questions and try to watch Tim's facial expressions <laughs> so that I can feel more helpless because he doesn't have them usually. <laughs> but 
I'm going to have to try to wing it here. I think Proto-Indo-European S does turn into Greek H. I'm willing to believe that Latin would borrow the Greek prefix and keep its own because that's what Romans did. They borrowed all of Greece and kept their own (laughs) peninsula. And they borrowed everybody else's everything and kept it along with theirs. So that makes sense. So I think that one's right. That third one also makes sense because that would be from the Latin source as opposed to the Latin stealing the Greek source. I am nervous about all of these because that Proto-Indo-European root is actually pronounceable, unlike Proto-Indo-European. <laughs> um, I think That's it's the supposed, suspicious part, yes. It's supposed to have like an H12 in it or something. Mm-hmm. The one I'm most suspicious about is the second one, even though I know I'm going to get myself in trouble here. It's the S turning into a D thing that's bothering me. Granted, Proto-Indo-European tried to turn into everything else so it could get away from itself, but that (laughs) seems a little extreme. So I'm just going to guess and say number two is false. All right. Bill does not believe in Fortition. Sherry? Okay. This is a totally character-based as opposed to a Mm linguistics-based answer. (laughs) It's absolutely necessary that we cover these bases, so I have to go with number three being the one that's wrong because it, it looks too right. It really does. It looks too obvious. So I don't know where this came from, and it does mean truck. Everybody knows that. Keith is absolutely right about number three well, it being. Apparently, means half a truck. Yeah. See, that can't be true, right? So <laughs> it seems too easy, and I think that's exactly the sort of really mean spirited thing that Trey would do to make us all feel bad. And it's also really important that we spread out so that one of us gets to win here <laughs> at least once. Well, no one's chosen four yet, so Kian. Well, well, there is that. I really like all these. I think they're great, except for the truck one. And because it's uncharacteristic of Trey to give us an easy one, so the easy one has to be the false one. And that is my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Kian? Right. Four kind of subsumes all the others, and I can't argue with it going back to some Proto-Indo-European thing. So since the other three have four in common... I'm not going against that one. Number three, I can think of, well, semicircle, which clearly is not Greek because Greek doesn't do that whole C thing. All right. And two, I can think of demi-tas and demi-monde in French. So that seems like a reasonable derivation. So I'm going to say that number one is a raving lie because I can't think of any Latin words with hemi in them. What about hemisphere? That's Greek. Sphere, hello. But you can. <laughs> yeah. So that's Greek. Wait, let's... Greek. So the problem is that if you choose number one, you'll be agreeing with Keith, which historically is a bad plan. It has generally not been to your advantage <laughs> if you're a guest. Thanks for warning. You can reconsider your answer. Is this the point where I get hints? I was told there would be hints. Can I reconsider my answer? I think that was a hint. <laughs> Keith doesn't get to reconsider. Oh. I'm only half sure of that answer. Penny sure. <laughs> no, well, I... Uh, uh, no, I'm going to stick to it and Don't die bravely on my sword. Okay. No, Trey wants to facilitate your score here. <laughs> I just want to facilitate your stay. But why? I'm never going to play again, so no, my no. standing doesn't matter. It does matter. You get the oh. guest score. Oh, like you're responsible guests. to all those who come after you. So yeah. Keith can't. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's a big Your guests are depending on you. responsibility, actually. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. 
So you, have, you can. I'm letting the team down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You came in with a 50% score. You've already been let down. <laughs> yeah. So one. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Hemi does go through Latin Hemi to Greek Hemi from Proto-Indo-European Semi. That is true. Are you totally sure of that or just Hemi sure? I am as sure of that as I am of anything. <laughs> <laughs> How sure are you of thing? <laughs> Pretty sure. And in fact, it's true that I wouldn't use such an easy one normally, but I mean, I had to stick with Hemi, Demi, and Semi, right? So give us a clearly Latin word with Hemi in it. Come on. That is not required. <laughs> <laughs> yes, semi is in fact English Semi from Latin Semi from Proto-Indo-European Semi. Mm-hmm. And you made up Gallo Romance doesn't even exist. It does, <laughs> but it isn't necessarily relevant here. So Demi does come from Old French Demi, which is from late Latin Demidius, which means half, from Latin Demidius, which is made up of Latin dis, a part, and medius, middle. Okay. So it is a part in the middle, and that gives you half. So Bill was right. As usual. As yes. you, but for the wrong reason. No, maybe it was the right reason. <laughs> well, he didn't want to buy the fortition. Yes, he did. Would you bet on fortition? I mean, you've seen language change. How often <laughs> is it really fortition? That's usually a mistake in the analysis. <laughs> it's the typo hypothesis. <laughs> well, see, I was hoping it was too egregious that you wouldn't think I would make that up. I thought that there were too many things in there and you wouldn't bother to make up that many steps. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put something in there. <laughs> the old French was true, so I had to get from there back to the Proto-Indo-European. Yep. That was a good puzzle. Very good. Hi, Demi. <laughs> so that brings us to the matter of the scores. I think we should <laughs> skip the scores this time because really we shouldn't be judging like that. I just don't think the scores are very important. Can I get extra credit for the guest team by pointing out that in Scots dialect, a quarter note is a crotchet? You cannot because you <laughs> said Scots was a dialect when it is clearly a language. When it's a language, it's called Lollins. Among other things. (laughs) I think we'll be coming to blows here, folks. (laughs) Once it comes around to what counts as a language, stand back. I find Dork Scots harder to understand than Portuguese. (laughs) And I don't actually know any Portuguese. (laughs) So Portuguese is more like Spanish, which I know reasonably well, than Dork Scots is like English. So it's a different language. Anyway. Which form of rhetoric was that? (laughs) That was one of those special forms. The dismissive. Yes, the (laughs) dismissive. That's it. (laughs) Back to the scores. (laughs) I think that was scathos. It's the scathing mode. (laughs) Indeed. Bill, as usual, is correct, which is why he currently has 100%. (laughs) Sherry and I are tied at two-thirds. And Keith and the guests are at one-third. One third of what? Oh, of a half, right? That was half. <laughs> Less than a half, yes. <laughs> You're not even semi correct on average. <laughs> Though maybe next time you can bring your average up a little. No, I doubt it. That is it for Lies, Damn Lies, and Linguistics. We will be back after a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Tobias Hugberry. It turns out that incessant pestering does pay off. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by the Department of Historical Linguistics and or Philology of the Autocratic University of Vinland Bulkirir. Hey, linguists. Do you know why it is better to give than to receive? Because giving requires a lot more work. You have to know what someone likes, what someone wants, who someone is to get them a proper thoughtful gift. No, wait, that's not right. It's actually more work to be the recipient if you're going to do it right. You can't trust people to know what you like, what you want, who you are. 
But you can assure your loved ones that Specgram has the right gift for you. A gift you, their favorite linguist, will treasure for years to come. The Speculative Grammarian Essential Guide to Linguistics. So drop some subtle or not-so-subtle hints and help your loved ones do the right thing this holiday season. Gift you with this hilarious compendium of linguistic sense and nonsense. Available in both hard copy and electronic formats. See specgram.com book for more information. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. It's time now for some language news. I have a startling new hypothesis, and that is that languages are living, sentient things, and they crave the attention of linguists. <laughs> this is why some otherwise little-studied languages turn out to have such weird or interesting features. It's because it facilitates linguists paying attention to them. <laughs> now, English, having been scrutinized by linguists for decades, has lost its novelty, and it's having a midlife crisis, and now it's doing the linguistic equivalent of buying a red sports car and moving to the coast in the hopes of attracting the interest of a new, younger generation of linguists. <laughs> is it working? I don't know, but it's the only sensible explanation I can come up with for the development of first, yeah, no, which means something or other, and now, no, totally, which means something <laughs> different from, yeah, no, and possibly the same as yes, but somehow different. No. Both are novel and interesting, but neither facilitate communication, as far as I can tell. <laughs> However, Catherine Schultz, on the other hand, has written an article in 2015 for The New Yorker called what part of no totally don't you understand, in which she tries a little harder to figure out what's going on. One proposal she makes is that no has become an autoantonym, a word that means the opposite of itself, like cleave or dust, but I think that's pretty silly. <laughs> she also explores similarities to the old four-form system of English, in which negative questions were answered with yes and no, and affirmative questions were answered with yay and nay. As an example of that, we have the older four-form system in English. So you have the question, is English having a midlife crisis? Yay, it is. Nay, it is not. Or you could say, is English not having a midlife crisis? Yes, it is. No, it is not. And then we can compare that to the new form, English be cray-cray. No, totally. <laughs> <laughs> then Schultz also dismisses a half-serious, homophonous explanation in which no totally is an abbreviated form of I know totally, or perhaps even I know, right? Like, totally, for sure. <laughs> and she claims no such homophonic slippage has ever occurred in English, which clearly means she's never been on the internet, because a bit of Googling facilitates the discovery of many instances of I don't know without either a K or a W, showing that homophonic slippage is not terribly uncommon. No, really? <laughs> yes, it's out there. No, Absolutely, not at all. <laughs> now, my question for you guys is, what completely unconvincing explanation for the positive use of no totally can any of you offer? See, I don't have a convincing explanation, but I am absolutely certain that the convincing explanation is going to have the terms stance or empathy involved somehow. And face. And possibly that too. Yes. Do explain. <laughs> I don't know. I just heard those terms once. Anytime, <laughs> you know, interaction, stance, empathy, uh, somehow it's going to have something to do with people, you know, stancing toward other people and empathetic about it. How does that facilitate communication? <laughs> it's not, apparently. <laughs> I don't think stancing is a word. <laughs> well, it wasn't until a minute ago. Okay. No, totally. Yeah, no, it's not it at all. Um, <laughs> it's pretty clear to me that this whole thing is an internetized version of notably. It's actually people trying to agree by being very sophisticated but, you know, rearranging some phonemes here and doing a little deletion there. So this is not, no, the origin, I'm sure if you Google, you'll find lots of hip youngsters saying notably when they wish to agree with something. And that just sort of got shortened to and divided into no totally. That's exactly how it happened. So as usual, we turn to Bill for the correct answer. <laughs> for the real story. 
Well, I've got two theories, both of which are probably equally wrong. One, as with a lot of theories, starts with Doric Scott's. <laughs> it's kind of a preserved version of saying things like, I am somewhat, nay, totally convinced of this. So it's just people heard that construction being spoken by people whose vowels were in very different places than they expected and thought it was a form of no and then borrowed it. That's only 3% less ridiculous than my explanation. Okay. <laughs> but um, yes. And I didn't even use a null alloform for that. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to break out the archophoneme. <laughs> I think that's well, you, do, you don't need it for that one now. Archomorphemes, maybe. <laughs> the other potential explanation is a little bit related to Keith's stance thing. It's expressing a sort of feigned disbelief. Mm that anyone would think otherwise. So if somebody says, oh, that was a good movie, you sort of like say, no, it's almost anti-sarcasm. You're being sarcastic at yourself, right? For the thought that you could disagree. So it's like, no, totally. <laughs> but one doesn't really hear that hemi-demi-semi-quavery intonation on no, totally. In fact, you hear many earnest young things saying, no, really, or no. Yeah, no. <laughs> they could also be contradicting <laughs> your anticipated stance with the, yeah, you know, no, yeah, that kind of thing. It's the, I know you might not believe this, but it's true. Told you it was right? going to involve stance. your expectation that I do not believe it, and the poison is, in fact, in your cup. Insert <laughs> <laughs> my agreement. So you're much to your surprise. That's why I've been taking small doses to build up a tolerance. <laughs> That will facilitate your ingestion, yes. Yes. What if the problem here is that we've had some kind of uh, boundary shift, and it originally was no-toe-tally, or no-toto-lee, or something like that? <laughs> it's uh, no-toe-tally, it's faux-Latin. It's like, faux-Latin, no to tally, not completely. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. I, I think one of the polarity markers is responding to the speech act, and the other one is responding to the proposition. Oh! <gasps> I'm not sure how that would work, but it sounded confident, and I'm going to go with that. Wasn't that the analysis of yeah, no, or no, yeah, one or the other? Wait, are those Probably. (laughs) That sounds like a good analysis. We can go with it. Yeah. Hmm. No, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Can we use other vocabulary? Can we say absolutely not at all? Or forget it, it's true. Or certainly, no way. (laughs) Get out of here. No. Forget about it. Wait, Kian, you sort of indicated that you've actually heard people use this? Yeah. Really? Totally. Oh, yeah, I really have. Okay. <laughs> because I wasn't sure it was a real thing. I asked a small sample of young women who we all know the, <laughs> How many was that? The most linguistically innovative demographic. And they said it no, totally sounded horrible. Oh, but, but in one of the references referenced by the references to facilitate this discussion, we saw that the main users of this locution are between 35 and 49, at least in Australia. It's not the young uns. It's, it's us mm. indecisive middle-aged people who are trying to be young and hip and cool and have heard yeah, no, and are now running with it. So it really is a midlife crisis. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I'd just like to repeat, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess that summed it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm quite certain that I've heard my linguistic innovators in the household say this. And it makes sense to me that the Americans would be 20 or so years behind the Australians with this. I, I can understand that. <laughs> hmm. mm. So I think that discussion has been facilitated. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you create a sufficiently facile explanation, you have, in fact, facilitated it. <laughs> like the last thing I had to say was at least 20% stupider than all the other things I have to say, so I figured it would lower my average, so I think I'll stop. Does this one get scored, too? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it does oh, not. Only my quivering heart. Quivering. <laughs> Although I'm surprised that none of our listeners have ever sent in a scorecard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they have, and Trey's just protecting us. I'm not saying. <laughs> it's in my contract that I never have to see scorecards for anything except for the first part, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Sure. We'll go with that. No. Totally. <laughs> never. Always. I believe we have facilitated that discussion right into the ground. <laughs> totally. We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Mutton Academic Publishers. Are you tired of always running with the same flock? Fed up with getting fleeced by pricey booksellers? Angry about getting the wool pulled over your eyes once again? Sick of publishers who shear pages off of your elegant prose? Mutton Academic Publishers is here to help. Our staff will guide you as you publish your academic book. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by the Society for the Acceptance of Anglicism in French. Let's do Le Brunch on Le Weekend. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Tobias Högberg. Now if only I could get them to record the PIE Laryngeals Hour with Tim Pouliou. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult. Well, we're going to close our show today with another one of these parlor games that you enjoy so much. At least no one's written to tell us that they hate them. And this one has to do with archaic English words. So this is the one we're expecting Bill to really win running away. We'll see how it goes. I have two games, and both of them involve archaic English words. I will just reassure the contestants ahead of time that I checked all of them in the OED. So I don't want to hear any belly aching about the veracity of the words, okay? The first game is called Tell Me About My Neighbor, and it's a game of archaic English onomastics. So I'm going to tell you the name of my neighbor which is made up of, coincidentally, two archaic English words. And based on the meaning of the words, you can figure out the occupation of my neighbor. The names are not puns or tricks, but you do have to figure out what the words might have meant several hundred years ago. Now, some of them are not that archaic. Some of them you may recognize. I'm going to read the names, and then I'll give you choices for occupations. You don't have to just make it up, because I think that would really be too hard. So I'm going to facilitate your getting close to the answer. And then each of you gets to tell us your decision. And if you want to try to influence the others, that's fine. You get one point for each correct answer, and I'm not earning any points, but I will earn the undying gratitude of all of our listeners. Okay, so here's an example. My neighbor's name is Maze Miller. Maze spelled M-A-I-Z-E. My neighbor's name is Maze Miller. Is Maze Miller, here's your choices, a designer of dungeons, a competitor in unmapped long-distance races, the assistant to New York Times puzzle editor Will Shorts, or a producer of corn flour? And then based on the meaning of the two words, which are not archaic in this case, you would guess what? Cornflower. Cornflower. Very good. A producer of cornflower because maize means corn and Miller is someone who mills flour, right? The rest aren't quite That's that true. easy. And then we get points for that because we boldly spoke up without fear of being wrong on the easy one. That was the example. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't get anything. Oh, I thought Trey was the mean one. Nope. Here we go. You ready for the, the real ones? Hold on a second. I can't let that accusation... I am the mean one. I always think you get negative one points for trying to suck up on the easy one. 
Hey, look, I want Keith to like me. So take your zero and be happy. <laughs> right. Okay, you ready? I agreed with you on the wrong answer. Just remember that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you've got bonus points coming. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, here we go. If you need anything spelled, you can stop me and ask for it spelled, okay? Number one, my neighbor's name is Collop Rasher. Is Collop Rasher the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker? The butcher. Trey's going with the butcher. Anybody have a different opinion? I would agree just because of rashers of bacon. Okay, Bill's going with the butcher. I want to disagree, but I don't think I'm gonna. It's okay to everybody agree. That would be all right. But I don't know what collop is. I think it's a big piece of something, but I could be wrong. I feel like I want it to be a measurer of some kind. Or a giant shellfish. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I want it to be a shortening of cod swallop, but it probably isn't. Oh, it could be. You could just pretend like it is. All right. What are your answers, Ken? I'm going for the butcher. I don't okay. want anybody to be rasher than anybody else. <laughs> okay. And Sherry, are you going with that too? Yeah, yeah I am. Okay. I'm going to jump on the same boat. The meat okay. wagon. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> so everybody's going with butcher for that. And that is indeed correct. So rasher means a slice of bacon, which you knew because it's still used in the present. Collop also means a slice of bacon, although it originally meant fried egg on bacon and then was shifted over to refer to just the bacon. So collop rasher is the butcher, not the baker or the candlestick maker. So basically collop rasher is bacon McBacon face. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I didn't check whether there was anybody actually bearing that name. <laughs> Some of these make it harder. We'll see. Okay, ready? Number two, my neighbor's name is Peeler Reeve. Is Peeler Reeve a cook, a policeman, a bookbinder, or a nun? Oh, they get harder because you just have more things to choose from? Because there are three last time, there are four now. <laughs> yeah, there are 35 choices. <laughs> there are going to be 35 choices next. <laughs> you know what? A who? I'll say it again. My neighbor's name is Peeler Reeve. Is Peeler Reeve a cook, a policeman, a bookbinder, or a nun? A nun? N-U-N. Like none of the above? No, <laughs> N-U-N. <laughs> like none of the holy order? <laughs> yes. Okay. On the one hand, I'm wanting to say policeman just because Reeve is like the same root that's in sheriff. But on the other hand, a peeler Reeve could be the person that coordinates bell ringers. Whoa. Because <laughs> they're peeling the bells, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No. That would push it nonwards. How is peeler spelled? Oh, with like, lots of, like, with lots like of spelling matters in older English. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with none just because I like my interpretation of the name better than whatever it might be. Okay. I'm going to go with policeman because I was thinking bells. You ring the bell. You're the peeler of the bell. And then I was, Reeve makes me think about cleave. And I'm just going to propose some illicit sound change with no facilitating factor whatsoever. (laughs) And say that the policeman is the one that rings the bell and then clocks you on the head if he has So I'm going policeman, and that is my story. Okay. So I was going for policeman, too, because of Sheriff, as Bill said. But Bill's interpretation, the non-word interpretation, made me realize that it could be cook, depending on how peeler is spelled, if that matters, because it could be the one who facilitates the efforts of the peelers. The head chef, right, is making all the little peelers peel their vegetables. So I'm going to say cook, even though I know it's really policeman. (laughs) Okay. All right, Trey, you get to go last. I do know that Reeve means policeman. So I'm going to say policeman, even though I know it's cook. 
<laughs> okay, well, you guys are way more clever than I am. So Reeve, as you know, is the second element of sheriff, the Shire Reeve. So that was a kind of officer of the king or magistrate. And peeler is a term for policeman, even used into the present. What? From the 1800s to the present. By who? It's a slang term, probably British. Wait, wait, probably British? You don't know that? Probably. Uh, How would I know? It was in the OED, you know. You said you looked it up. I looked up that it was in the OED. I didn't look up. That isn't so big. You can't see much around it. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that it was British, but I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Okay, next one. Ready? Mm -hmm. No. My neighbor's name is Swain Chapman. Is Swain Chapman a tailor specializing in leather goods? The third officer on a merchant ship, a young country peddler, or a woman who herds pigs. These are just getting weirder and weirder as they go (laughs) along, aren't they? But there's still only four choices. Swain does mean pigs, or pig herder, sorry, not pig. Pigs are swine, but the swain can mean (laughs) pig herder because there's that famous example in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle about a pig herder killing someone whose name is disturbingly like all the other names in that section. (laughs) I'm going to go with the female pig herder. The pig herdress. Yeah. Her datrix. Her datrix. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bill. That's got the pig herder. Anybody have a different reading or the same? I would throw my lot in with the her datrix. (laughs) Just so I can say her datrix. It facilitates my enunciation of herdatrix. Somebody needs to go, or I'm just going to keep saying that. Could you facilitate my short-term memory again and reread the options? I sure could. Swain Chapman, and the options are a tailor specializing in leather goods, Uh the third officer on a merchant ship, a Uh young country peddler, and a woman who herds pigs. Hmm. Sherry? Okay. (laughs) I... I'm going to have to go with the leather tailor because it made Kian laugh. <laughs> and I thought if I said that again, she would laugh again, which she did. So, <laughs> that was very effective. Yeah. So I think I should receive an extra merriment point, even <laughs> if it does turn out to be the thing about the pig. Okay, Kian, which one are you going that. with? Right. Well, I thought Swain's might be youths of some sort. Yeah. I just have a vague overtone of that. I'm desperately trying to remember what chapbook came from, but mm. I'm still for the peddler just to be different and original and facilitate my uniqueness. That's a good answer because you're young Swain, right? So it's got to yeah, be a young, it's a, it's a young dude. But it might be young dude who heard swine. So I really don't know. Who else can go out dressed in leather? Young dudes, right? Right. Wasn't it offense to peddle swains even in the countryside? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. So Kian is right, a young country peddler, because a swain is a young man. That's originally a Norse word. And Chapman is a peddler, originally meant merchant or trader, but had become a peddler by the 1500s. Ready for number four? We're ready. We're so ready. All right. My neighbor's name is Tweeny Beldum. I'll spell those for you. Tweeny is T-W-E-E-N-Y. And Beldum is like Bedlam, but not the same. B-E-L-D-A-M. Oh, Methodistus. Yeah, like Methodistus. <laughs> so my neighbor's name is Tweety Beldum. Is Tweety Beldum a thin and crazy lad or a balding 11-year-old or the ringer of the middle range set of bells in the cathedral bell choir or an old woman servant who assists both the cook and the housemaid? I think the next time you organize a game, Keith, we're going to put a limit on the number of words you're allowed to put into a noun phrase. Your noun phrases are way too long. You want to hear them again? Yeah. 
a thin and crazy lad is the first one, a balding 11-year-old, the ringer of the middle-range set of bells in the cathedral bell choir, and an old woman servant who assists both the cook and the housemaid, Tweeny Beldum. I'm going to go with the servant. Tweeny sounds like the obnoxious kind of nickname that someone would give their servant. Okay, Trey's going with the servant. Who's next? I also will go with the servant, not because of her servitude and not because I have any idea what Tweeny means, but I do know that Beldum comes from Beldam, which means old woman, and none of the others go with the age and gender of the word. Okay. I'm going to concur because of the Beldam part, and also because anyone named Tweeny Beldam sounds like they're a Victorian mass murderer. <laughs> when you're trying to figure out who done it, it's probably the servant with a candlestick in the pantry. <laughs> You know, I'm going to have to go with the servant, too, because I smell red herring. So this this thin and crazy, you're trying to confuse me with Beldum and Bedlam. I know you are. And Twiggy. And yeah, the same thing, <laughs> 11, Tweeny. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cute. That's there too, too dog-blasted cute. And the bell ringer, that's just dumb. And so it's got to be the old <laughs> servant. All right, well, you're all right. So that one was just, <laughs> you know, Wow, you just made that. There's a, that was beautiful. So a tweeny is someone who assists both the cook and the housemaid. And Beldam, as you know, is an old woman. Actually, the etymology of that is a little complicated. Look it up. The origin of Bell is not real clear, turns out. Oh, I thought it was like my good woman. Well, it, yes. So it means good. But why it means good is a question. That's apparently not that clear. Oh. It doesn't I think we can just blame French on general Yeah, and principles. so the most, the most likely guess is that it's French, but that's apparently not as clear as you might wish. Last one. Oh, no, there's more. But these have really short answer choices, so Sherry's going to be disappointed. My neighbor's name is Bridewell Darby's, D-A-R-B-I-E-S, okay? okay? Is Bridewell Darby's a recently married woman, a vicar, a jailer, or a falconer? Wow. <laughs> I thought it was some kind of unpleasant skin condition. <laughs> Not one of the choices. I thought it was a kind of cookie. Mm. Mm, like Snackwell. Mm. Yeah. Bridewell Darby's. You want to hear the choices again? It won't help, but go ahead. <laughs> a recently married woman, a vicar, a jailer, a falconer. So it's not the first one because then there'd be like Bridewell is recently married and what would be the opposite? Bride bad. <laughs> I don't know why, but Riding bad. The vicar seems the least wrong sounding. <laughs> it wouldn't be a falconer anyway, it would be a falconer, so we can rule that one out. Oh, you know Keith talks funny. That's that's <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a derby is supposed to be a kind of hat. Hmm. Not a derby? No, not a derby. I feel like a or maybe it's some kind of, you know, Scottish form of the word <laughs> derby. You know, or like something. they say Darth when they mean Darth and that kind of thing. Farther when they mean further. You know those people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go for Jailer just because that seems sufficiently sideways. I'm trying to figure out which of these guys is most likely to wear a cool hat. The Vicar. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So we're agreeing on the Vicar. Yeah, I think the yeah, we want the Vicar. Because the Vicar marries people? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. We're down with this. Someone who marries people whilst and at the same time wearing a cool hat. <laughs> okay, da -da 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 -da. it's a jailer. So Bridewell is a term for a prisoner or reform school for petty offenders. And Darby's is a slang term for handcuffs. <gasps> wow. 
which the jailer would have need of, but the vicar would not. <laughs> well, you never know. The naughty vicar. <laughs> so it's the bride when you cast the bride down the well into the holding area. Yeah, right. <laughs> Something like that. The bride bads. Okay, now do you want to do the second game, or do you want to hear the scores of the first game? Will it discourage me if I hear the scores? It's, it's all about me. Let's facilitate my happiness. <laughs> Will it discourage me if I hear the scores? Possibly. So, Sherry, you have three. Bill. I wrote this down, so now I have to like look over the page to find. Bill has three. Kian will do tray last. That way I can make up a number. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think Trey should have three. Kian has three. All right. We're going to have to do another game because everybody has three. Trey, Trey, Trey. No, Trey would have Trey would have three. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, that's by definition. Four. Okay, well, so we're tied at three, so we'll have to do the next game, okay? So the next game is similar and yet different. This one is entitled Choose Ye the Meat Definition. So in this game, I'm going to give you a semantic domain and a definition, and then I'll give you three archaic words that are taken from that semantic domain, more or less. And you have to identify which of the three words matches ye old definition. <laughs> so you don't have to remember much. And the definitions are short. And the goal is to get three of them right? <laughs> that would facilitate the tie, yes. Wait, I don't get it. <laughs> so two of these are true and one of them is false. Right? <laughs> no, 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 that's the other game. <laughs> so okay. there will be one word that matches the definition and two that do not. Okay. You see why I have so much trouble with it, you keep changing the rules. Just the pick the right word. <laughs> you have to pick the one that has to do with meat, right? Yes, the meat oh, no. definition. So, ready? No practice this time. Here you go. So, the first semantic domain is crime and punishment, and the definition is a tax-like payment. And your three words are Peterman, Scott, and Toxin. Scott. Bill's going with Scott. What was the definition again? A tax-like payment. And your choices are Peterman, Scott, and Toxin. Scott, because Scott free. Yep. Well, that's why I guessed that, so... Mm. Sherry, Trey, hmm. Peterman, and what was the other one? The one that sounds like tax, which is meant to confuse us. I know Toxin it. is T-O-C-S-I-N. What? I think you should have spelled that sooner. Sorry. You Change your answer. You haven't made one yet. T-O-C-S-I-N. Yeah. All right, I'll go for the funny spelled toxin. Trey goes for toxin. Okay. Sherry? I'm going for the other one then, because just to spread us all around, and I have to go for Peterman, even though I don't think it's true. I'm still doing it. <laughs> for the good of the order. Facilitating the game. Facilitating the happiness of millions. Okay, well, Scott is the correct answer because scot-free does, in fact, mean without paying tax. A Peterman is a thief or a safe cracker, still in use in literature, and toxin is an alarm bell. Oh. Next category, the person next door. Wait a minute. <laughs> I thought we did but, this. Yeah, did we just have neighbors? Hmm. No. <laughs> oh, that was in the other one. Yes. No, this is, you know, yes. Okay, like that. So which of these three words means a close friend or companion? And the words are gossip, poltroon, and nithing. So which means a close friend or companion? Gossip, poltroon, or nithing? Hmm. I like nithing. I like gossip. I think I vaguely have a memory of hmm, someone saying good gossip. Duh, duh, duh. And if it isn't true, I'm going to start using it like that because I like it. <laughs> Language change in action. Fucking <laughs> good gossip. Mm-hmm. Abandon that nithering over there and those poltroons and come hither. <laughs> Yay. Verily. Yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> no, totally. I remember something about gossip being from Godsib. So that might be like 
almost a sibling or something. Nithing, I keep wanting to relate to Nithling, which is like a worthless person. But it is Nithing, not Nithling. Right. I'm kind of torn on this one. I'll go with the Nithing on the off chance that it's related to Nigh, like N-I-G-H. Okay. Well, I think a poultron is a kind of a fruit, sort of like an old plum or something. (laughs) All right, Kian, which one are you going to pick? Well, for me, poltroon is right out because Shakespeare uses it as a pejorative. So, yeah, no. (laughs) And nithing, I really, really want to mean something like nothing or dismissive. And gossip seems like somebody you're close to over the fence or what. So I'm going for gossip. Yeah. Okay, so... The gossips have it. Bill, you are right that gossip comes from godsib, as in like a godparent at baptism, but it went through a stage where it meant a close friend or companion. Yeah. Well, that's just wrong. Well, yeah. there it is. We um, Poltroon does mean an utter coward, and a nithing is from Norse and may have had an L at one time, but in English going back a long time, it didn't. And it means something like a contemptible or despicable person. Well, next oh, time I need well. my kids to clean their rooms, nithings! The Sultan didn't call them nidlets. <laughs> nidlings. I like nidlings. Nidling is so close and friendly. Bridewell nidlings. Dismissive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next category is occupation. Which of these words means a person in charge of factory machinery? Right? And the three words are cordwainer, tenter, and usher. Wow. A person in charge of factory machinery. Cordwainer, tenter, or usher. So Is did they have factory machinery back in archaic times? Well, <laughs> good question. So this has to have been at a time when there was factory machinery. What did you ask, Bill? Is tenter with an E or an I? Because I have the merger, so they sound alike. I have the merger, too. It's with an E. Okay. They sound alike because I can't tell the difference in my own speech. It's tenter there. How's that? Nicely done. Nice. Well done. I've, I've worked so hard at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's paid off. It's facilitated your pronunciation. It's facilitated my life in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Wouldn't that be facilitated? No, that's Idaho. Cordwainer, <laughs> <laughs> oh, tenter, usher. It's obviously cordwainer. has to be. Hmm. Because you can drop pretend morphine breaks there, even if they're not real. And I feel like this is a new enough word that it ought to have pretend morphine breaks if it can't have real morphine breaks. Mm-hmm. And it's got words in it. Obviously, it's somebody like pulling pulleys and stuff. Hmm. Either that okay. or it's not. Either that or it's not. Who else? Who's next? If that one's right, I'm going to hold Sherry responsible because she pretty much talked me out of it with that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> with that explanation. Yeah. All right. Well, what did she talk you into? Was Usher and what was the other one? Tenter, Cordwainer. Tenter. All right. I'm going to go with Tenter. Oh, you're so wrong. Any reason for that or just obstreperousness? <laughs> well, of course. Because I know that there's that common folk etymology of Tenter hooks mm. and people say Tender hooks. Mm. And I know that a Tenter hook is some sort of thing for stretching things or something. So it sounds machinery ish. Mm. It's clearly a roaster. It's, you hang it over the fire on the Tenter hook. That's why I didn't go with it. I'm going to go for Usher just because it's kind of fun to think that the fall of the House of Usher was really like a diatribe against the Industrial Revolution. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm in an English department, so I can do that kind of thing. Yes, you can. (laughs) You can write a paper about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. No, yeah. (laughs) No, totally. (laughs) Kian? 
your little oh. tiebreaker. We have one vote for each. Well, Cordwainer, I know only because of the really great science fiction writer, Cordwainer Smith. And I remember his name meant something, and it didn't mean factory supervisor. <laughs> so that's it up. Tenter, it is stretching cloths and it is making tents, like stretching canvas. So I'm going with Usher, not because Bill did and Bill is usually right, but because it's default and I have no idea what else Ush would mean. One who ushes. One who ushes. And factory machinery makes a sound like Ush, Ush, No, no, ush. no ush, 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 is the sound of flowing water. Ush, 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 so a cord wainer is a shoemaker oh, and has been from the 1100s until even the present in trade guild names. Nobody uh, told me. Jeez. Yeah. Sorry. If only you had that job, you would know. An <laughs> usher from the 1500s to the 1800s meant an assistant teacher. Oh. May have meant other things too, but anyway, that was an early meaning. An attenter is someone who tends things. <gasps> And in the 1800s was used to refer to a person in charge of something, especially factory machinery. Wow. Oh. So Trey's the only one that got that right. <laughs> to make up for the fact that he didn't get any of the other ones right. So, Trey, I think you owe me one of your points in gratitude for talking you out of cordwainer, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Mm, I'll give you a hemi-demi-semi point. <laughs> you may not get any more points. <laughs> And see, I was sitting here thinking a cordwainer was the central person named Dwayne <laughs> in a group. It's like the cordwainer. Yeah. Well, I should totally read Cordwainer Smith, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Much better okay. than Cordwainer Taylor. I got two more of these. You ready? Wow. Dear Lord. <laughs> what, what she meant was, oh, goody. Oh, goody. I can tell. There we go. Next one is from the realm of health. The definition is dysentery. So which of these means dysentery? Jakes, flux, or sanative? Oh, that's flux. Mm. That's what they try to give you horrible tasting stuff for. The bill's going with flux. It just sounds good to say, oh, I've got the jakes and flux. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll use that next time I call in sick at work. (laughs) I've got the jakes and flux, man. (laughs) Flux sounds too much like something out of a sci-fi thing, but again... Bill seems confident. Bill is always right. (laughs) Sometimes reality is wrong. (laughs) I don't know. It's got to be Jake's because that rhymes with snakes and that scares me. I feel like even if Jake's wasn't the original word, it became that way out of analogy with snakes. I just feel like it has to be the way it is. Sounds promising. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Flux is the only word I recognize from Victorian novels and such. So I'm afraid I'm really going to have to go with flux, even though it makes me seem like uh, a meek, cowardly plagiarist. But all right, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll settle for that. It's flux. Yeah, I'll go with flux, too, because I need the points. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about the points. Come on. Well, you guys are right. Sanative means healing. You probably knew that, or it sounds like something like that. Uh, okay. Jake's means an outdoor toilet. And is still used. You can find it in modern current literature. OED's last date for it is 2005. And flux means a lot of unpleasant things. Dysentery or excessive flow of blood or excrement. It can mean things like diarrhea. So next time you say things are all in flux, just uh, <laughs> don't know what you Sort of by some kind of semantic extension that I don't know the word for. I'm pretty sure that you should count Jake's as meaning flux. <laughs> That's where you go after the flux. Yeah. yeah. I tossed <laughs> my jakes. It's some kind of part hole or something or destination purpose. <laughs> no, 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 wait, wait, wait. wait. S- 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 Synecdoche? 
Yes, that one. I just remember that flux you sometimes have when you have an ague, but it doesn't usually go with a guitar. Or the dropsy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it okay, okay. kind of counters the dropsy, just not in a way you want it to. <laughs> okay, let's go to something a little less depressing, and that is the last category is food. So which of these means a deer's entrails eaten as food? And how is this less disgusting? <laughs> Maybe it's not less disgusting. That's how you get the flux and end up on the Jakes, man, <laughs> is eating entrails. It All facilitates right. it. So, so which of these means a deer's entrails eat this food? Ready? Kickshaw, Numbles, and Spence. You want any of those spelled? Yes. Like it would help. <laughs> Kickshaw is spelled like it sounds. K-I-C-K-S-H-A-W. At least that's the way it sounds in my dialect. Numbles, like mumbles, but with an N at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And Spence, S-P-E-N-C-E. -E. So which of those means a deer's entrails eaten as food? What does this tell us about the etymology of the name Spencer is what I want to know. <laughs> that's what you want. <laughs> I'm going to go, it's numbly in my rumbly tumbly. <laughs> okay. Numbles for Trey. He can have them. <laughs> I'm going to go with Spence just because I keep thinking that means leftovers or something. Like, you've gotten all the good meat off the deer, and then you're working on the spent remains. Ooh. Okay. And Sherry? I feel like kickshaw might be some kind of tool for collecting or exacting the entrails out of the deer. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> but I feel like that's tool-like. So I'm torn between numbles and and I really think that Spencer is someone that does something, right? Maybe someone that collects up leftovers. So I think even though I want to say Numble, Trey said it, so I'm going to go with Spence. And you figure a kickshaw is probably like a rickshaw, but you kick it. Yeah, it's what you carry the deer away on, right? <laughs> or what you scrape the entrails out with, because yeah. like scrimshaw, except you want to yeah. kick it away when you're done. Well, also, numbles sounds sort of plural-ish, and I only want one of these, whatever it is. <laughs> Actually, the plural pluralishity of numbles <laughs> is what makes me want to go for it because of the commonness of entrails being plural, kind of cross-linguistically, mm. or at least mm. certainly in English, you want to say gut, you want to say viscera, you want to say, you know? So Innards, bowels. You have to kind of know them in order to eat it. So I'm going with numbles. I feel like it ought to be a mass noun, though. So that's why I'm liking Spence more and more. You ready for the answer? Yeah. Kickshaw is a fancy but insubstantial cooked dish. Wow. So not the right answer. Like an hors d'oeuvre, right? It's old-fashioned hors d'oeuvre. I guess. I'll bring yes. you a plate of kickshaw. Shall we have some kickshaw? Nouvelle cuisine. It <laughs> uh, I think it was used to refer to French food at some point or other. Yeah. Spence is from French, and it means a pantry or larder, oh. related to our word for dispense. Dispenser. Yeah. And numbles is a deer's entrails eaten as food. Comes to us from a French word meaning loin. So at one time meant the loin, but then got moved around somehow appetizingly <laughs> to the entrails. That game was a little more decisive. Okay, you ready for the score? Yeah. It's one, two, three, four. <gasps> Whoa. Who got three? <laughs> Trey, you got three <laughs> because... See, I said that was the goal, to get three. That is so fitting. <laughs> I win. And Bill got two, and Sherry got one, and oh. Kian got four. <laughs> Since everybody tied with three in the last game, Kian is the grand champion winner. <laughs> Plus, she gets bonus points for agreeing with me. So that's like <laughs> six more. Wow. All right, so I will take that into account for the lies, damn lies, and linguistic scores and not change them at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> Come on. You're welcome. Jeez. That was a good game, Keith. It, well, it definitely was. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, thanks for playing. So I think that's all the time we have for Language Made Difficult. Thanks to our guest, Kian, for hanging out with me and the rest of the Ling Nerds. It's been a pleasure. Join us next time when we discuss the little-known writings on infernal and diabolical linguistics from the brothers Bosch, who are the younger siblings of the more famous Hieronymus Bosch, namely Anonymous, Synonymous, and Hyponymous Bosch. Welcome to our Linguistics Roundtable. Bill is the one with the charming accent. <laughs> I, I do not have an accent. <laughs> Everyone else does. Bill is also the one that always sounds like there might be a bear in the background somewhere. <laughs> I don't think Pleasure there is. People. You know, if you whine enough and you sort of go, hey, I do this ukulele, it's really, come on. Someone eventually will go, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh, I get it. If you whine and you're really annoying, then they believe that you do, in fact, play the ukulele because that's sort of the musical equivalent. <laughs> I didn't want to show weakness. You know how it is. Why don't we just all cough all we the time? Cough. <laughs> Can we the cough cast? <laughs> <laughs> okay then. <laughs> Save that for the outtakes. <laughs> the accordion, you could call it a polka lele. <laughs> you don't have to be clever. None of us are. Do we, it's, hey, hey. <laughs> Nobody's hey, clever. Clever is definitely not in my contract. You did not tell me cleverness. <laughs> It's really important that we conceal at least one thing from Keith on every episode. <laughs> so it's clear. I see. Once you hook a fuzz pedal up to your ukulele, you've gone places that no one else has ever gone to. I guess we're ready. As ready as we're going to be. <laughs> if you were wearing shoes, you'd be feeling more confident. No. Oh. <laughs> okay. Is everybody ready? <laughs> I was just trying to convince her to put on shoes. I just feel like that'd make a difference. But, you know, I don't always know everything. I mean, most <laughs> things I know some of the time, but I guess not this one. You know, some of the things, some of the time. <laughs> Trey, you made peace with this article? Uh, I did some work and then I was done. <laughs> so close enough. Okay, well, I'm not very cool. Trey is not a believer. <laughs> no. Trey believes in very little, really. <laughs> Nothing ukulele related. <laughs> oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Sin, 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 help. What's that word? Sin, sin, crap. Synesthesia? No. <laughs> I'm going to wake up at 3 a.m. remembering this darn word. Synecdoche? That word. Yes, that one. Yeah. Thank you. What if we all find out that a guitar is really a bass ukulele? <laughs> it is, actually. That's kind of frightening. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one or two genetic modifications away, really. <laughs> Just a mutation here and a mutation there. Like dogs are evolved from wolves. Yeah. The guitar is kind of a domesticated ukulele made larger <laughs> and slower. <laughs> so it's not as dangerous. Yeah, that's right. They don't bite. Hmm. Made more popularized for the masses. The guitar is the wolf and the ukulele is the chihuahua. <laughs> or perhaps even the bichon. No, bichons are kind of cute. <laughs> Ukuleles are kind of cute, too. Uh, from a distance and with no sound. <laughs> Trey will not be won over on this. We have a lot of fun. Behind Trey's back, though, of course. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead and laugh when I'm retired in Hawaii with my ukulele. <laughs> I'll try to remember your names. <laughs> Bridewell what? <laughs> Bridewell Darby's. So it turns out that Polka Lele is not novel. 
Oh, oh. Yeah, again. <laughs> Dang it. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Why do you Google these things? That is so depressing. Because I can. <laughs> <laughs> and your salty tears are the spice of life. <laughs> Wait, there's an actual thing called apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, what is it? Doubter. Doubter. <laughs>